All right, good morning. My name is Darren. I'm glad to be with you this morning uh, to bring the Word of God to you. Um, I get to preach here every once in a while, and uh, this morning I get the honor and privilege to bring this sermon to you. So, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. Uh, Let's go ahead and do that right now to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, If you uh, don't have a Bible of your own, you are welcome to use one of ours. There are Bibles at the end of your rows. Um, You're welcome to take that home with you. If you don't own a Bible of your own, you're welcome to have it. Uh, And in that Bible, we're going to be on page 1057. 1057. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. And go ahead and stick your finger in there and just kind of hold it there. But the first thing we're going to do is a little bit of a game. So we're talking about stewardship. We're going to talk about choices and a bunch of other stuff. So let, let's start off with a little bit of a game. You're get, this is a crowd participation event. You're going to have to turn to your neighbors and, and, and ask them the question here and do some debating. So here we go. Would you rather? All right. We got a couple of these. So let's go. Go ahead and get around your neighbors. If you want to stand up, you can stand up. If you just want to turn around in your chair and look at each other, do that. First one. Would you rather have the ability to see 10 minutes into the future... Or 150 years into the future. Discuss. All right, complicated, short-term decision-making versus very, very generational long-term thinking. Interesting. Next one, would you rather be forced to sing along or dance to every single song you hear? All right. We got some singers and some dancers in the crowd. I like it. Next, would you rather have a personal maid or a personal chef? All right. I know my answer to this one. I'm already a great cook. I don't need anybody cooking food for me. Come clean my house. Let's get her done. Uh, Next, would you rather take amazing selfies but look terrible in every other photo or be photogenic everywhere but in your selfies? All right. Would you rather travel the world for free for a year or someone hands you $50,000 cash right now to spend however you wish? All right, next one. Would you rather would you rather be forced to fight 100 horses the size of a duck or one duck the size of a horse? <laughs> 
All right, before we move on to the last one, all I'm saying is this. Have y'all seen Jurassic Park 2, the little bitty dinosaurs? There's danger in numbers, but have you ever seen a horse-sized duck before? I don't know, man. All right, last one. Would you rather have a photographic memory or an IQ of 200? All right, so this was just a good introduction to the idea that life is full of choices, right? Life is full of choices, and choices matter. And so this morning as we talk about stewardship, I don't think we're ever going to have to fight a duck-sized horse, at least I hope. But if that day ever comes, your choices prior to that event matter. And I'm just going to tee this off with just a recent story in the news, just to show that our choices in life The stewardship of our choices, the stewardship of our lives matters. Before we even jump into the scripture, let's just see an an, an, an in-person, in-camera right now, real-life scenario. Anybody a WWE fan? Wrestling? You don't have to be to know this story, probably, because this made worldwide news in the last couple of weeks, right? So, uh, okay, first of all, it's not fake. Wrestling isn't fake. It's just choreographed. It's like a ballet. It's fine. Don't come at me. Wrestling isn't fake. The outcomes are fake. So, so just let's stop there. Don't be saying it's fake. Just like the NFL. It's fine. But anyway, hey, listen. Casey winning so they can get that Taylor Swift swag. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That's all, that's all I'm saying. Well, anyway, we'll leave that alone. I don't want to fight today. So listen, if you've been following the news at all, you've, you've probably seen the just horrific and evil accusations made against Vince McMahon. Maybe you've seen that in the last week or two. Um, he's been accused of sex trafficking and uh, uh, blackmail and all these other accusations. And he hasn't been found guilty in the court of law. So again, we're saying accused. He's, it's alleged accusations. But there's a lot of smoke. And you know the saying. This is just a sad example of a guy who's basically the, the, the Barnum and Bailey of our generation as far as like being able to put on big events and raise up big stars. Uh, WrestleMania, everybody's heard of WrestleMania. It's, it's a common household title. Everyone's heard of WWE, WWE, even if you haven't ever been to an event or watch it on TV. You know these people. And then you know the people they've produced, The Rock. Everybody knows Dwayne Johnson, right? He's the, mo- he's the highest paid actor in the United States, it, probably in the world. Uh, John Cena is another up and coming, uh, the undertaker, Hulk Hogan for my generation, like all these guys, Vince McMahon is the, is the mastermind behind all these dudes, but that wasn't enough. The genius, the, 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 the entrepreneurship, the millions and billions of dollars, it just wasn't enough. So allegedly he partakes in uh, all these different ungodly things, sex outside of his marriage, prostitution, blackmail, all these different things. And so what we basically are watching, we're we're watching the legacy of one of the greatest entertainers that's ever been born disintegrate into dust as all these accusations come at him. What a terrible situation to be in. What a terrible end to your legacy. You build up all this momentum and all these accolades and all these amazing things to your name for it to all just crash down at the end based on the few choices that you made, right? 
And, and it's just to be honest, right? If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we end up in the same path of life where sin after sin after sin after sin after choice after choice after choice eventually builds to the point to where all the good we've done seems to almost be erased by maybe even one act of infidelity or whatever else it may be, right? So stewardship is serious. So, so as we started off a little bit fun, now we've got to take that turn to say, like, like when we're going to talk about stewardship and discipleship this morning as part of uh, Genesis's plan to make disciples, like this is serious business. It matters. Our choices matter. What we do matters. But why does it matter? And so we have to jump into that. And, and let's clear one hurdle before we even go any further this morning. I'm not going to turn this sermon into a, a, a sermon about how you're supposed to give better. And, and let's be honest, if you've ever sat in a church and the, and the idea of stewardship has come up, it has generally been couched in, you need to give more. You need to, you need to make sure you bump your tithes up to match your income. Make sure you're giving at least 10%, that type of thing. I don't want to do that. Because if we limit stewardship to only money, we've missed the whole mark. Now that's, don't get me wrong, we're going to get there. It's part of it. I mean, we should give God back money that he has given to us through our jobs and all the other different things to fund the gospel going to the nations. We should be a part of that, right? And we should be generous to that goal. Like, what else, what else matters than that? Than getting the gospel to the lost all over the world and here locally. Our finances are what do that. We have, to, we have to fund that. That's how we get that mission done. But I don't want to sit here and sermonize this whole thing and be like, it's all about money. It's not about money only. And it's also not me standing up here saying, listen, if you give more, God's going to shower you with blessings and prosperity and so on and so forth. Listen, we cannot limit stewardship to only finances, and so we're not going to do that this morning. Instead, as disciples and disciple makers, we want to follow this recipe that we're presenting to you, that we're adopting as a church, because we want everyone here and the people that we disciple, and those that we are witnessing to and reaching for the gospel, we want them to have a total change of mind and heart and attitude and values when it comes to what we do with everything that we are. Not just our money, but our time, our talents, our, our, uh, the things that we are good at, our, our giftings, and even more than that, right? Our friendships, our hobbies our families, all those things fall under this category of stewardship. They fall under the category of nothing that I am is of my own. I belong body and soul to God. And so Eric already read it. We're going to read it again. Heidelberg Catechism, question one, gives us just the simplest, most easy to remember answer for this is, their question is, number one, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Now focus on that for just a second. What's your only comfort in life and death? What, what, when you lay down at night and put your head on your pillow, lets you sleep in comfort, knowing something? What, what is that answer? And it should be this. The answer is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? That, that we're his, that he bought us, that he purchased us from ourselves and from the devil, and we belong to him. We're now adopted into his family. We are 
his forever. We cannot be disinherited forever his. That is what, when we go to sleep at night, should give us the ability, no matter what happens overnight, no matter whether our house catches on fire or whether we just sleep through the night to wake up the next morning, we go to bed in peace, right? Because like the scripture says, what can separate us from God if we're his? The answer is what? Nothing. Nothing under the sun, nothing created, nothing ever even imagined can separate us from our God. We belong to him. And then the question continues. It says, he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Romans 8, 28, right? Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Now, that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. He has sealed us with his ownership. And then he lives inside of us and instructs us and guides us and leads us. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, church, we won't bang that iron out on the anvil. We won't sharpen that as disciples. We won't work on one another and on ourselves to make sure that our stewardship matches the biblical model of what stewardship looks like. Does that make sense? In the Christian walk, we have to fire each other in this furnace and look at ourselves and look at each other and say, are we submitting ourselves and the things we have and the things we are to God and saying, these are yours, Lord. Use them as you will. Well, let's go to our text this morning. Paul is going to introduce this text in Romans chapter six or First uh, Corinthians chapter six, and and there's some context to this that we're going to have to talk about and how it applies greater to this the, what we're talking about this morning than just what First Corinthians is saying. But let's read that together real quick. First Corinthians chapter six, verses nineteen and twenty. Paul, preaching to the Corinthians, says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now, context, right? Context is key. Why is Paul saying these words to the Corinthians? Very simple. Corinth, ancient city, was the house, the home of the temple of Aphrodite. Okay, if, if you wanted to worship in Corinth and, and, you, and you were a believer, in, believer in, the, in the Roman and Greek gods, you would go to the temple of Aphrodite and you would submit yourselves to a temple priestess, a.k.a. a prostitute, and you would have relations with her. And that, that is the mode of worship that they would worship. And so as Paul is, is sharing the gospel, as the church of Corinth is planted, you have new converts who are in the church who... Re, undoubtedly so, uh, we understand why, are caught between their old self and their new self. They're caught between what they once were and what they now are. And so you have Christians who are still visiting the temple, thinking that they can do both. Thinking that they can have the temple of Aphrodite and they can have their God too. And then they have people who they're witnessing to who are doing this without any kind of sense of uh, of, of, of moral angst or anything to it. It's, it's a normal part of life for them. This is a normal everyday thing. 
And so you can imagine the, the, the culture shift, the, 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 everything that's happening within this church. And so Paul's instructing them why they can't be doing this. They can't just go to the temple anymore. Why? Well, if we look back at chapter 6, we can read a little bit of what he says. Verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but, not, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And so his whole argument going forward all the way to the end where Paul says, listen, you are not your own. You were bought with a, pri- with a price, so glorify God in your body. The whole argument centers around the fact that stewardship of our body, stewardship of it, a.k.a. glorifying God with our body, stems from, one, we don't throw ourselves at a prostitute because the sin that happens there is, is it's, it's different. It's, it, it happens within the body. Uh, it, it, it's, it's defiling the temple of the Holy Spirit. But more than that, it, it, it's treason. It's treason against the God who bought them. It, it's them saying, yeah, I'm, I belong to you and you indwell me, but I get to do whatever I want to with this vessel. I'm going to go use it how I see fit. I'm going to go use it how I please and do whatever I need to do that gives me the most satisfaction. Paul instructs them and says, no, you are bought. You don't belong to that anymore. You belong to the Lord. The Lord, the Lord calls you to remain in your marriages, to have sex within your marriages where God has blessed it and said, it's amazing. Do that. But you can't go there anymore. And so we, his church, we, we apply this to us, right? We just take this and say, how does this apply to us immediately? We are his church, us individually and us as a group. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives with inside us. God has put his seal and stamp of ownership on us. And like the Old Testament image of a servant who, uh, if he chose to stay with his master, he would put an awl in his ear. He would pierce his ear saying, yes, I used to be a slave or a servant of yours. And yes, I know I'm free to go, but I don't want to go. I want to stay with you. I love you. I want to be your servant from now on. Just like that, we are to put the all in our ears and choose to serve Christ with our whole selves. Because he's our master. We belong to him now. And he's the best. He's the most amazing. He's the most wonderful. So Paul's specific application here in the realm of sexual purity is what our text is specifically about. But man, we'd be foolish to think it stops there. What other application does this text have when he says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you. You are not your own and you are bought with a price. Does the scripture throughout the rest of scripture speak to this truth and broaden it out to where it applies for us today as we talk about biblical stewardship and discipleship? And of course, the answer is, of course, the scripture does. Because the scripture does not just leave us to figure out this Christian walk on our own. God gives us instruction. He gives us guidance. So I probably didn't mention every single area of stewardship that the Bible calls us to, but I've mentioned a few. So let's walk through some of those and see what else has the Holy Spirit, via his presence inside us, entrusted to, or gifted us with that we need to be good stewards of so that we can honor God with our bodies, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You follow the argument? 
What else do we have stewardship of? What else has God gifted us that we need to be good stewards of in order to be his disciples because he's a good master and we wish to love and serve him? Number one was our bodies. We just hit it, right? That, that our bodies are not our own. That what we do with this vessel matters. I'm not as good as that as other people. Some of you guys are regimented. You work out every day, and I just, I just don't do that. And some of you struggle with the same struggle. But this body, what I do with it matters. Not just, not just sexually, but physically, mentally, what I ingest, what I look at, what I see. All those things are things that God has given me stewardship over. And so everything that I put in, every input that I take, I'm supposed to look at it and say, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Is this good for me? Now that's better said than lived, right? I feel guilty of that. I'm sure you do too. Thank God for grace. Thank God God has forgiven us and given us grace. Because if we tried to live this perfectly, we would fail. We are, we're already failing. So our bodies. God has given us stewardship of our bodies. And the next one is God has given us stewardship of our souls. So now we believe at Genesis that God is the author and perfecter of our salvation. Amen? God is sovereign in our salvation. That God is the author of our faith. God is the one who brings us to him. He's the one who saves us. It's not by any work that we do. We cannot earn our salvation. We cannot continue to earn our salvation. It's all of God. God saves us. God keeps us. God justifies us. He sanctifies us. And he glorifies us, right? We believe that in Genesis wholeheartedly. And yet... Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? So what does Paul say there? I'm going to read it again. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Is there stewardship in our salvation that God has entrusted to us? Yes. We are supposed to be examining ourselves on a regular basis to see, am I his? Do I belong to him? Am I submitting myself to him and to his forgiveness and to his grace? Am I preaching the gospel to myself that I am a sinner? I deserve justice and damnation because of my sin. But God, by his grace and mercy, died on the cross for me, rose from the grave for me. And because I believe in him, he has forgiven me of all unrighteousness and brought me into his family, and I will live forever with him. Are you testing yourself to, to see if that's you? Or are you counting on your religious activity to get you into heaven, to, to, to give you eternal life, to make you good with God? Are you more about your efforts than you are about his efforts? Where are we at? If we're not careful, and we talk about this very often at Genesis, Right? If we're not careful, we default back into the mode of my religious effort is what makes me good with God. We default there because it's the normal mode of the human heart. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves. We have to remind ourselves of who we are and who we belong to and ask ourselves, do we belong? I think everybody in here, if you took it one second right now and bowed your head and closed your eyes and you asked yourself, do I belong to you? You'd immediately have an answer because you know. The Holy Spirit in you is like, yes, you're mine. And you know it. Do you do that? Or do you just assume every day? God gives us stewardship of our souls. He tells us to test ourselves, to see if we're his. Are we doing that? 
Third is our time, talents, and gifts. Now, Paul spent so much time on this in the New Testament, it would, it would take me two more sermons to flesh out everything Paul says about the giftings that God has given us that, and how we're supposed to use them. I could, I could stay up here forever and talk about everything, but, but let's focus on two different scriptures this morning, and, and I want you to see the two different arguments that Paul is making and then that later Peter will make for your gifts and for your time and for your talents and the things God has granted you there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this, verse 27 through 31. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. So there's first. Paul says, you, number one, you are a body. And in other places, Paul likens the body into different body parts. Not everybody can be an ear or a finger or a leg or a foot. The body parts have to be various and distinct in order for the body, just like our physical bodies, to work together, right? That's the whole argument. That all the different body parts work together so that way we're not one giant earlobe walking around church and we're all just earlobes. It doesn't make any sense. You need an earlobe, you need an ear, you need a foot, you need an eye, you need a mouth for a body to work. So Paul says all these gifts are given for the very first sentence, right? The body of Christ. Now if we miss that, we'll think these giftings are about us. And we'll, self, and we'll self-centerize all this stuff to where we're like, hey... I got this amazing gift of blank, and aren't I special? Well, no, we're not special. The whole argument is is that we're supposed to be working together to help one another in the body. So so these gifts are given to us as stewardships, not to hoard and not to be selfish with, but to use to bless you and you and you and you and you, so that way this body functions, right? Right? But then Peter makes the same argument, but I want you to hear the urgency that he puts behind it in his argument. First Peter chapter four, he says this, verse seven through 11, the end of all things is at hand. (laughs) Immediately, he just goes full in. The end of all things is at hand. So so therefore, what's the next verse going to say? Therefore, go hide in a bunker. Go separate yourself from society. Go... Whatever you want to put in there, right? Build you, build you a container underground 25 feet deep so that way the radiation can't get you. Whatever. That's not what he's saying. In fact, he's going to go the opposite direction, right? He says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded about for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's his argument. He says the time is short. The end is near. What are you doing with your gifts? Are you using them to serve one another? Are you using them to help one another? Are you using them to speak to one another, to serve one another, to love one another, to be hospita- hospitable to one another? Are you using them for those reasons? 
You have stewardship over them, a.k.a. you're supposed to use them for those reasons. God has gifted those things to you to use. Not to glorify yourself, though, right? What's he say? To glorify God through Jesus Christ. So God has given you stewardship of your gifts, of your talents, of the time that it takes to put those through there. And we'll throw in hobbies there as well. What are you good at? What do you like? God has gifted you those things to use for the glory of the kingdom and for God himself. To bless the Lord through serving one another. Are you using your giftings well? Are you hoarding them? Are you keeping them to yourselves? Number four are treasures. We already hit that. It's money. It's, it's, it's our possessions. Are we using our possessions in such a way that we aren't violating what Matthew chapter 6 says? So Matthew chapter 6, Jesus preaching says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Are we using the resources God has given us through our jobs and through our families and through our inheritances and through whatever means you got it to build the kingdom, to share the gospel, and to send people to the nations? And if we're looking at the things we have and saying we don't do any of that, then obviously what have we missed? Everything. Now, again, this whole sermon can't just be about possessions, but it also can't not be about possessions because they matter. And God has gifted you a career. He's gifted you uh, side hustles and who knows what else to use for his glory. What's, what's mastering you? Your possessions or God? And the question there is really answered with, what are you doing with them? Right? What you do with them gives the tell immediately, doesn't it? Your possessions, your treasures are a stewardship God has gifted you to use for his kingdom. Number five, our family, our friends, our employees, our employer, etc. This is a broad topic, but in, in, and we're not going to read the whole of Ephesians 5 and 6, but if you go read it on your own, Paul's whole argument is this. First of all, husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her husbands. Your wife is a stewardship God has gifted to you for you to love her well. Right? Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. Wives, your husband is a stewardship God has gifted you to respect and love well. Right? Children, obey your parents, for this is right. This goes both directions, right? Parents, your children are a stewardship God has gifted you in order to raise up and then send out like arrows into this world to share the gospel with the nations, right? Right? Okay? Flip side. Kids, teenagers, they're not in here, but the teens are, so I'm going to pick on you. Sorry, you're up here where I can see you, so it's great. Hey, I love y'all. And, and I'm sure there's more in here somewhere. I see one there. Kids, I love you. You're great. But you've got to obey your parents. Because this is right. The Bible says this is right. So if you're not obeying your parents, obey your parents. Because this is right. Y'all with me? I need some head shakes in the front row. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah? Okay? All right, cool. All right, seriously. If you, it, if you want to see the fast track to wrecking your life, teenagers, stop obeying your parents. It's the, it's, watch the world around you. Look at the people you go to school with. 
The fast track toward it is ignoring the commands of God and the blessings God has promised to you as teenagers and as kids and not obeying your parents. It's a fast track. Your parents are a stewardship that God has gifted you to obey. Everybody with me? Back there, you with me? Yeah, over here, you with me? All right, cool. Bond servants, obey your masters. So, so if you're an employee, how do you honor God as an employee? Do what your boss tells you and do it with joy and with, 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 with a, with a, with, without grumbling and, and do it as though you're serving the Lord, right? Bond servants, obey your masters. And then the side of that is, right, masters, do the same to your employees. So if you're a boss and you treat your employees like junk, you are not being a good steward of your employee, right? So Paul covers all that in Ephesians chapter 5 through 6. And then ultimately, Jesus sums it up in all of life with what? Love your neighbor as yourself. That our neighbor is our steward. We are, to stu- we are stewards of the people who live near us and around us, who are part of our families, who, li- who, who we have connections to, who we're acquaintances with. They're part of the stewardship that God has gifted us. And we are to steward them well. First of all, by sharing the gospel with them. But second of all, by continuing to do that by loving them and serving them. And, and, and go walking alongside them in life, Right? That goes for all those other categories as well. We are to love them well. And then number six, this is just a broad category, but our lives, a.k.a. in, in, in parentheses, everything else. What in your life, think about it for just a second, what in your life has God gifted you, granted you, given you access to that he has not called you to be a steward of? Can you name anything? Can you name something that's accidentally there that you're like, well, I guess the Lord put this there. I don't have no, I don't care. Is that, is that, the, is that the attitude that we have or is it? Uh, uh, let me just read a list of things that I wrote down. Uh, I wrote down a whole list of the things that kind of can fit in this etc. category. Let me read them all. Uh, things that God has called you to be a steward of. Here we go. Where you go to college. Where you buy, where you, what car you drive and buy. Where you go to lunch. What color shirt you wear today. Your choice of hobbies. Your social and business networking. Your social media. Your internet browser and its history. The city you live in. The nation you live in. Your vote. The political party you belong to. Your house. Your pets. Your retirement. Your reputation. The inheritance you leave to your children. Your funeral. And ultimately your legacy. I think I covered most things. But I'm sure we could think of other things. And you may be looking at that list and thinking, what if the color of my shirt? What does that matter? Well, I'll just throw out one day and it, it, just for fun, but St. Patrick's Day, right? What happens if you don't wear green? Okay, maybe that's all it is. Maybe that's completely all it is. Maybe you're just like, I don't want to get pinched on St. Patrick's Day, so I'm going to wear green. But maybe, but maybe... Because you put a little bit more thought into what you're doing with your life. Maybe you pick a shirt out that strikes up a conversation with a coworker that leads to a gospel door being kicked open. And you're like, hey, I know you just started a conversation about this awesome shirt I'm wearing, but can I tell you about an awesome God I serve? And that's as corny as I'll get, but maybe it could happen. Here, here's the point of all of that. True Christian maturity, guys. When we're discipling people, when we're discipling each other, I, I want everybody to understand this. When we're discipling new believers and older believers and, and senior saints all the way down to babies, we need to understand this. 
There's no such thing in God's economy as accidental or coincidental. It doesn't exist. God is sovereign. In other words, there's nothing that came up to God one day and surprised him. And he went, oh, I didn't expect that. That's all expected. It's all seen. It's all foreknown. God knows all things. He anticipates all things. And therefore, every single decision we make is important. God has given stewardship of our everything. He's given a stewardship over it. And ultimately, it's because he has stewardship over everything. He is an amazing God. And just understand what I'm saying here. The aim of everything I'm saying, if we're not careful, when we're, when we're talking about stewardship in our life and discipling others, we can, if we're not careful, stray off into different aims. The first aim is bad and the second aim is good. If the first aim that we have, if, if I say, hey, God has made you a steward over blank, and you say, okay, I'm going to be a good steward of that so that I can be happy. We've missed the mark. We've aimed wrong. Because that's not the, what we're talking about here. When, I, when I'm talking about that whole list of things and all the other points that I've already talked about, I'm not trying to help you be more happy. I'm trying to help you glorify God in all of your life, which is the point of life, which is the purpose of life, is to serve and glorify and have joy in our God. That's it. Happiness follows from that. When we treasure God above all things, just like John Piper so magnificently says, right? Our joy will be found when we are serving God at his highest, right? We, we, will, we will find joy when he is our highest aim. And so our, the second aim is we aim at this coming from it, from a, from a, 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 a I'm trying to use the right word here. We're coming at this from self-denial as our aim. Not happiness on our end. We're not trying to gain something for ourselves from this. We're trying to self-denial. Because Jesus said, Matthew, in Mark chapter 8, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is ultimately stewardship. Right? That's not about me. That whatever giftings, whatever things God has given me, it's not about me, ultimately. It's about him. It's about his kingdom. It's about his gospel. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We know this verse well. If, you, if you've been in church any time in your life, and if you haven't been, I understand, but it's one of the most magnificent verses in Scripture. It says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Now, everybody's probably heard that if you've been in church. If you haven't been in church, I understand you haven't heard that. But understand what it's saying. If you've been saved, it is by grace. God rescued you from your own self, from sin, from Satan. That's not something you did. It's something he did freely. That's what grace means. It's a free gift. And he did that, and all you had to do in response to that was believe. That's what faith is. You believed God's promises here that if you would trust him, he would save you. That's amazing. Good news. That's the best news. That's the gospel news, right? That God will save us in spite of ourselves, to him as a free gift. That's amazing. That verse doesn't stop there. It keeps going into verse 10, which says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Everybody follow, right? If we're talking about stewardship, and we're saying God, in his sovereignty, as part of our salvation, 
Everything we're supposed to do, all the good works we're going to do are laid out in front of us like the golden road in Wizard of Oz. And we just have to walk down the road. Does that not change everything about every action you take in your life? Does that not transform your thinking about the smallest decisions that you're making? It should. Because God has laid out in front of you a glorious plan that involves taking everything that you are, submitted to everything that he is, for the glory of the kingdom and the good of his gospel. That's what stewardship is. That's what we want to teach you, and that's what we want you to teach others. So don't hear what I'm not saying. This is not a call for you to abandon life for spiritual things. We don't make that distinction. We don't make that, that, that ca- we don't caveat those out into separate realms. That you're not supposed to be a monk moving to a monastery so that you can spend the rest of your life serving the Lord. Or a nun to a, to a, a, a convent or anything like that. We're not, we're, this isn't us abandoning the world and our normal pursuits so that we can serve God. We don't believe that. We don't, we don't caveat those out like that. No. This also isn't me telling you, hey, I don't care what you're doing, you should baptize that and make it Christian. AKA, you can't be Vince McMahon and, 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 and do the things he's accused of doing and still call yourself a Christian. There's a disconnect between those two things that doesn't make sense. Just like if, if you were to come to me and say, hey, I have, this, I have this amazing missionary opportunity I want to talk to you about. I'm going to visit the strip club every Wednesday night, and I'm going to preach the gospel to those girls. I would look at you and say, that's a terrible idea. Because there's an evil there that you're trying to baptize and make it helpful, and you're probably going to do more harm to your soul than good for the kingdom. You can't baptize the evil that you may be doing in your life and say, I'm doing this for the Lord. It doesn't work like that. If the Bible says don't do it and, and forbids it, your act of stewardship is to repent and stop, right? Not to try to baptize it and make it into something that's good. You can't do that. So don't hear that either. Stewardship isn't you turning your evil into good. No, your stewardship is to do what the Lord has commanded. Obey the Lord in all things. Follow him. Do it all for the kingdom. So how do we apply this? I want to apply this just simply using uh, the, the, the metric that, that, that the elders uh, and Mike put in place for this discipleship grid. So uh, they put in seven different categories of people that you as a disciple and you as a disciple maker should be reaching with these things and things you should be learning. So how does stewardship for us apply to all these categories. The categories, just in case you're wondering real quick, uh, and, and I'm assuming they'll be on the screen. If they're not, it's not a big deal. The first is the unengaged or uninterested. There we go. They're all there. The second is seekers. The third is church folk, babies, teens, adults, elders, and, and leaders. Now, each one of those mean different things. Unengaged, uninterested, they're not Christians yet. They don't believe the gospel. They, they're, not even, they're not even really engaged in the debate yet, if you will. Seekers, they've heard enough to where they're like, yeah, I'm kind of interested in what you're talking about. Yeah, I kind of have a a, a generic understanding of this gospel you keep talking about. Tell me more. Seekers, church folk, people who have been ingrained in church culture their whole life and may be Christian or may not be. That's that's an absolute possibility. I think Billy Graham once said 75% of most churchgoers who are in the pews on a daily basis are unsaved. And so I don't know if that statistic holds true anymore or not, but if it does, it kind of makes sense in, in a lot of occasions. 
Babies, people who are just brand new to the faith. Teens, people who you're, you're, you've, begin, you've begun to kind of get it and you can kind of carry your own weight a little bit. Adults, you could fully carry your own discipleship weight and you're starting to make disciples of your own. And then elders, leaders, deacons, you, you, you not only can carry your own weight, but you've taken on the responsibility of carrying others as well and helping them to become disciples. So those are the categories. How do we apply stewardship to each one? Unengaged and uninterested. First, we make disciples by showing them that they are created in the image of God. They are separated from him. And that separation means one day they will die and face God. Our stewardship toward them, the way we teach them stewardship is to say, you are not your own. God created you. You belong to him. He was, you, you were made in his image. And because of that, you owe him your allegiance. You owe him your fealty. You owe him your life. And we begin to have the discussion. Seekers. They come to us and they want to know more. And we say, listen, you, you know you belong to God, but we show them that their sin deserves eternal punishment and that Christ has died on the cross and rose from the grave for their forgiveness so that they can have eternal life. This is the moment where we share with them the gospel. That the very first thing they can do with stewardship is to own up to the fact that they cannot get there on their own. They need Jesus. They need his forgiveness. They need his gift of righteousness and salvation. They need him. Church folk. We show them that their new life in Christ does not mean their primary service to God is on Sunday mornings. It's not. Or by living a life holier than now around everyone else around them. No, we teach them that every single day they have a chance to worship our king, even through every single decision that they make and how they love their neighbor, how they love one another, how they steward their lives. We begin to teach them those things. It's not about Sundays. Yes, we gather together as a, as a church body on Sunday mornings to worship the Lord, and it's amazing, and it's so fulfilling, and it's so good. But the rest of the Christian walk is between Monday and Saturday, and also Sunday afternoon and night, right? The primary, the primary amount of your Christian walk is every other day and every other time than when we meet here. Are we using that like we should? Four is babies. We show them their primary focus of life should be the growth of the kingdom of God. How are they, we're teaching them, how are they using their time and talents and treasures to further that? Maybe they should consider, as, even as babies, maybe they should start considering what a lifelong commitment to uh, serving God in the mission field looks like or through pastoral leadership roles and that type of thing. Just begin to think about that. Not serving quite yet, but just... just has God called me yet? We begin to teach them that, yes, God's called you to something greater than just coming to church and just serving. God's called us to so much more. God's called us to mission. God's called us to uh, build his kingdom. And then five as teens, we begin to show them that every choice matters in their life. Nothing is inconsequential. And we look at them, we say, is your day-to-day life just living, are you just living every day, every day just by a whim? Are you purposefully looking at your life choices and saying, how can, I, how can I leverage all these different things for the kingdom? Am I looking at all of it and saying all of it matters? Or am I just seat of my pants, living on a dream? Which one is it? Adults, we ask them, hey, you're a full-fledged Christian. You, you, you know your stuff. Who are you telling that to now? Who are you raising up? Who are you lifting up to be a disciple just like you are? Who are you beginning to pour into? giving godly advice to, loving and serving so that they can begin to be good stewards of these same gifts that you now understand. And then elders, leaders, and deacons, they take this even further because the scripture says that we will be judged more harshly for how we lead than anyone else. 
And so if you're ready for that type of commitment, jump in. But be ready for that. Be ready for the extra dose of heartache and, and, and brokenheartedness that comes with that role. That, and also the tremendous joy that comes with seeing a new disciple really get it and begin to follow and really grab onto the faith and make it their own. There's both. There's, there's everything in there. Be ready for all of that. But we look at them when we say that. So, in conclusion, as I wrap this up and as the band comes up, again, this, this whole process here is about discipleship. How do we raise up Christians who are good stewards of everything that God has given them because they are not their own. They've been bought with a price. Again, God bought me. God rescued me from the devil, from, from, from my own sin, from my dead and, and, and drowned soul. He brought me into new life. He's adopted me into his family. He's resurrected me to new life. What now should I do? That should be our question this morning. If that's you, if you under the sound of my voice, all eyes up here, please. I, I, everybody look at me. If you, co- if you consider yourself that, if you know deep down inside your identity is this, you've been bought by Christ, you are his, you belong to him, and he has ownership of everything that you are, and he gets to tell you how to spend your money, and how to spend your time, and what gifts to use, and how to use them, and how to serve one another. If that's you, this morning, your call is, do it. Obey the Lord. If you don't, if you fail, there's grace. Thank God for the cross because we will fail. We will stumble. We will not do everything we're supposed to do. But that's all part of discipleship. Part of discipleship is we look at each other and say, yeah, I know you failed. I'm not surprised. I failed yesterday. I failed this morning. There's grace. God is good. He will forgive. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. The scripture says. We are making disciples by looking at every one of you. I'm looking at all of you and in, 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 in your disciple-making efforts. You need to look at all those around you. And the very first words that should be coming out of our mouths when people start asking questions is, listen, you are not your own. What does that mean for you? You don't belong to yourself. You do not have ultimate ownership of yourself. What does that mean? How do you serve God knowing that he is everything and you are nothing? How do we do that? How do I leverage my whole life for him? So we make disciples by looking at each other saying, you are not your own. You belong, body and soul, to Christ in life and death until he takes us home. Let's pray. God, this, this morning's calling is serious. It's, it's, it's serious business. You've called us to make disciples. You've called us to be disciples. You've called us and gifted us with so much. You, you've, gifted, you've, gifted, you've gifted us gifts and, and possessions and time and talents and hobbies. And so, Lord, give us your grace. Give us your presence within us. Use the Holy Spirit within us to push us into using those things, using ourselves, which belong to you, into doing what you'd have us do. Lord, we need your grace in this. We can't do it on our own. We need you to help us. Let us be good stewards of everything that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.